Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. We do have uh, Dr. Tarun Argawal for tonight, um, and he is joining us from North Carolina. Um, did I just forget the backwards, or are you South Carolina? North Carolina, please. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, North Carolina, if you don't know T-Bone, uh, he's a founder and CEO of Rally Dental Arts and 3D Dentist. Uh, 3D Dentist is an education platform, which has actually educated over 10,000 dentists over the last couple of years, and um, really dedicated to helping them grow their practice. Uh, he's recognized and featured on many news outlets. You've probably seen him on, on several dental and dental sleep medicine publications. But probably his most renowned um, accomplishment is that he has been voted the best dad of the world by two of his three kids, uh, which I think is uh, phenomenal. So, um, T-Bone, if you want to kick us off, I know we're talking about the business of sleep tonight, how to be profitable in sleep, and, and someone as, as educated and experienced as you in, in succeeding in not just general dentistry, but in sleep dentistry. Um, really excited to hear what you have tonight. So you ready to go? Yeah, I'm always ready. All right, let's go. All right, thank you, Chad. Uh, good evening, everyone. It is uh, a little past eight o'clock here on the East Coast, uh, five o'clock for those of you in sunny California and the West, rest of the West Coast. Uh, and this evening, uh, I would like to talk about uh, the business of sleep apnea. Typically, I like to do this particular program uh, very interactively. So if you could uh, ask questions, uh, put them in the chat, that would be great. Uh, and then I'll kind of go along here and, and there'll be times where I'll pause and maybe you'll interact and maybe you'll choose not to. I mean, I don't know what you guys got going on at home. Um, but I think the, the, I think the truth is, is that sleep, dental sleep medicine is probably one of the more difficult things to implement in a dental practice. And for, for several reasons. One, it's uh, something that honestly we have zero experience in. Uh, we didn't learn any of it in school. Um, number two, it's something that uh, is not traditional dentistry. It's not fillings crowns, not dental insurance. It's not, you know, what your insurance covers in terms of dental insurance. And the other thing is it's not something that most of us do on a day-to-day -day basis. And when you combine those things, it, it can really lead to a lot of frustration. And so my goal tonight is to kind of share how we've been successful in our practice um, in doing dental sleep medicine. And um, uh, the number one thing is, is I like to keep it simple. And I think um, especially for those of you that are kind of trying to launch dental sleep medicine in your practice, uh, whether that's, hey, I'm doing one here and there every so often, low-hanging fruit. Uh, for those of you that are doing two, three, four, five devices uh, per month, and uh, maybe some advice or <laughs> different thoughts for those of you that are doing, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 or more devices per month. Um, we all have a lot to learn from each other. You know, the first thing I will tell you is that the absolute most important thing that we implemented in our practice um, to bring sleep medicine uh, into, its, in, into its own is having what we call a champion team member. And, and that would be the equivalent of like a project manager or a department head or a team lead. Uh, and this is a person who owns uh, dental sleep medicine within our practice. And it kind of goes through multiple phases. Phase one is 
it's a conglomerate of people, the hodgepodge of people that are trying to do it. You have your front office team that may work with medical insurance or the patient finances. You have your an assistant that will kind of do this in between patients and kind of fit it into the schedule or maybe, or in my opinion, what's worse would be uh, you let the dentist uh, start doing this and dentists have a tendency to find a way to uh, make it uh, more complicated. Uh, but the challenge there is, is it's hard for most of us to mentally think about dedicating a team member to run a specific product. And the truth is, is uh, I always say success leaves clues. And, and this is how, you know, kind of how all businesses are run. They're run where uh, there's a department head and they're responsible for their vertical of the business. And, uh, and, and we, treat, we treated sleep apnea or dental sleep medicine like a startup within our practice. And so for those of you that have done a startup in the past, you started your practice with zero patients. Uh, you had working capital, that working capital funded uh, the time it took for you to get your practice moving in the right direction. So the same, same kind of holds true here for sleep apnea is I funded a startup within my practice and we hired or promoted, in our case promoted, a team member to run dental sleep medicine. And this team member uh, runs the entire process from beginning to end. Uh, whether that's, um, you know, uh, handling, managing referrals, whether that's working with the medical insurance, whether it was working with some of our third-party partners, whether that's uh, working with our laboratories, whether that's doing the consults, whether that's doing the deliveries, everything, basically everything with sleep apnea. And so there was a time period for a year or two where, uh, it, um, you know, I'd probably say six months where I was losing money because I was paying a team member to kind of get this going, but after about six to eight months, you know, it was pretty much paying for itself. And, and then there was a time period for a year or two where uh, we weren't uh, at full capacity. And kind of now at our sixth to seventh year of doing sleep apnea with uh, seriousness, uh, we've reached a point where we're ready for a second sleep apnea team member. Uh, so, you know, that, that's kind of uh, what our champion is. It's our sleep coordinator. And what they're in charge of in our practice, and probably what I want them in your practice, is uh, hygiene department referrals. Uh, we, I, I believe in a two-step approach to sleep dental sleep medicine. Step one is uh, you got to learn how to treat the patients that walk in your practice from within your practice, be a self-referral source. Once you kind of get the workflow under control, uh, once you understand what it is that you're doing um, and how all the parts and pieces and the process works, I then encourage you to go outside and look for referrals. The risk we take by trying to build a referral-based practice from the get-go is that you're experimenting and you may lose a referral in doing that. So our sleep champion or our sleep coordinator uh, handles all the referrals from our hygiene department. And now uh, probably about 75, 80% of our cases are coming from uh, medical practices within our community, still about 25%, 20 to 25% or so come from within the practice. Uh, our sleep coordinator manages our home sleep testing, uh, whether that's using a third party service to do our home sleep testing for us, or whether that's uh, home sleep testing that we're able to do within our practice ourselves. Uh, our sleep coordinator also handles all the logistics of medical insurance. 
And that doesn't mean that they're doing medical insurance themselves. They may be handling the logistics with our third party, with a third party biller, which is what I encourage everybody to begin with is with a third party biller so that you're not doing that in house. And then uh, on the clinical side of things, they manage all the consultation and finances and the clinical portions of the sleep apnea workflow in our practice. Hey, so, hey T-Bone, yes, I sir. got a question for you. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. How, how long did it take you to go through, you mentioned that ratio, the 25% internal referrals, the 60 to 75% external. How long did it take you to go from that first step to that second step? You know, for us, um, probably somewhere in the four-year ballpark. Okay. Before outside referrals outpaced internal referrals. Um, and, and a lot of that was because I, I, did, I was hesitant to go deep outside. I would kind of get started. And um, so I held us back a little bit. Uh, but I think, I think for us, it was three, four years. Uh, and and I, you know, if, we, if we need to give some perspective to this, I, I would say year one, we probably did 15, 20 devices. Uh, year two, we were in the 50, 60 ballpark. Uh, year three, we started hitting that 60 to 80 ballpark. Uh, and by year four, we were 100 plus. This year, we'll probably be, uh, this year, we're year seven. Uh, we'll be at 250 plus devices annually wow. within the practice. Um, and, 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 and look, uh, the truth of this is, is what really happens a lot in dental sleep medicine. And, and I understand this because we do a lot of training myself and Aaron Elliott and uh, is... Uh, um, the challenge in all of this is, is what I call the runway concept. And, and it, there's a runway involved in getting sleep medicine off the ground. And most practices and most dentists give up before they allow that runway to kind of uh, give you enough room to take off. You know, the truth is, is if you go to a class today, it'll be a month before you deliver your first device at best. Mm -hmm. Between doing, you know, between creating the awareness, getting the diagnostics done, between dealing with the medical insurance, if you choose to deal with that, between waiting a couple of weeks for the lab to get you your device, <laughs> getting it back. It's a solid month, month and a half before you do your first device. And that's assuming you have somebody day one to get started on. Uh, so, so I always look back and try to explain to people what would happen if I had quit before the six, seven month period. I would never taste this level of success. Uh, that we've had. Uh, so, um, yeah, you know, so I, I, I you know, you got to stick it through. And, yeah. um, and that kind of leads to the next point here, which is what are the challenges that we I've seen uh, in dentists uh, implementing sleep champions? Um, one is, is number one is they're not blocking time. Uh, if you want to win, if you want to be serious and successful with dental sleep medicine, meaning to me more than one or two cases here and there, uh, then you're going to have to block time. This is not something you can figure out how to do in between patients or when you happen to have time, because the truth is we won't have time. You've got to block time. So if you wanna implement a champion and you're not willing to fund it from the very beginning as a startup, then what I would tell you is you've got to block time. And, and you can't block once a week. You're going to have to block a couple of hours, two to three times a week at a minimum. 
for someone to be dedicated to working your sleep apnea practice. Uh, another area that I've seen struggles in is clinical team members aren't, are typically not used to talking finances and payment plans and all of that with team members. So you have to have, you know, oftentimes we think of a clinical team member as the person um, that can do this. And so one thing that is with dental sleep medicine is, is you know, we're, 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 you know, and I say these things lightly, it's not that I believe these things, but this is how patients or the medical community thinks about this. We're charging two, three, four thousand dollars for a couple of pieces of plastic. And so you have to have that capability of helping to make it affordable for patients. The other thing that sometimes I see offices do is they'll make a front office team member run sleep apnea. And then you have non-clinical people attempting to do clinical things. And there's a challenge there. Sleep apnea, you gotta take impressions, you gotta take a bite, you gotta take a special type of bite. Um, you know, that's kind of there. Uh, another area that I've seen practices struggle is, is they try to do medical billing within the practice. And I will tell you that in the beginning, it doesn't make sense for you to do it yourself. Uh, is it a relatively easy claim? Yes, but there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of filing, there's a lot of follow-up that's involved with all of these things. And, and when you're learning something new, the last thing you want to deal with is tedious things like medical billing. So learn to outsource that, you know, and outsourcing costs money, bottom line. That's part of the game. So uh, like in everything else, you're going to have to spend a little money to make money. Another mistake I see is uh, dentists get cheap about testing team members and loved ones, uh, or they choose the wrong team member uh, to be in this position. So th those are kind of, kind of the common things I've seen in terms of when somebody says, hey, I want to have a sleep coordinator, what mistakes or what challenges have they had in that? You got something for me, Chad? Yeah, uh, Dr. Stan Rotroger um, asked, yeah. can you recommend a billing company that doesn't charge a monthly fee uh, when whether or not you have a patient to bill in a particular month? So I don't know if you know anyone off the top of your head. Uh, I would hope that they all charge a monthly fee because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, they got to make money. They got to stay in business and they got to have um, uh, somebody, you know, most of their monthly fees are, you know, 50 to hundred bucks, I would imagine. Uh, and then they charge, and then at that, depending on the company you work with, they either charge a percentage of collections mm -hmm. or some of them charge a flat fee uh, for each case submitted. And, uh, so, you know, unfortunately, that, that is part of the, the game, you know. At, at the end of the day, if I look at it this way. If we're not willing to pay something nominal like $100 a month to have uh, access to a third-party service, um, then we're probably not serious about winning is, is how I look at it. Um, what I've seen is companies come to the market that don't have a monthly fee. They either get taken out of the market or they move to a model where they start having monthly fees involved with it. That's what I've seen over and over again. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So now let's kind of move to once you have a champion or however you choose to do that. Excuse me, I should have drank some coffee. I just got back from hot yoga. It uh, sweat me out there. Um, we got to work on your workflow. And, and you got to develop your workflow and, and that's fine tuning the process. 
And the last thing you want to do is kind of bumble and fumble through this. You, you don't, you know, and, and the truth is you're, you're going to bumble and fumble through it in the beginning. There's no way around it. You know, we're so much better at this today than we were seven years ago. We're better today than we were a year ago. A year ago, we're better than the year before. Uh, but our workflow keeps getting better and better. Uh, and, you know, here's kind of the workflow that we teach uh, in our training programs is that there's four steps to complete sleep apnea treatment for your patients. Uh, step one is you got to create awareness. Um, one of the challenges in sleep medicine is most of the patients don't even know they have a problem. People are more and more aware of sleep. Uh, they're aware of snoring. They don't really quite understand what role a dentist plays in it. So, you know, we've got to create some awareness that A, we exist and we have a solution for a large percentage of the population. Uh, and then we also have to create awareness because honestly, the medical community isn't doing that great of a job. Certainly the primary care community isn't doing a great of a job. You know, I can't tell you the number of patients I see that have high blood pressure, that have diabetes and no one's ever suggested that they may have sleep apnea. Step two is you got to have a way to get a diagnosis. That diagnosis has to be done by a, a sleep, sleep physician. Uh, so depending on the state laws and depending on your personal beliefs, uh, uh, as a dentist, I, I'm a firm believer the dentist should be able to dispense home sleep tests. Um, and then, or you can use a third party service to do that. And sleep, home sleep testing is getting easier and easier. There's disposable ones. There's ones that kind of just go on your finger nowadays. There's ones that wrap around your body, wrap around your wrist. Uh, the diagnostic testing is getting better and better and better. Uh, some are app-based. Uh, there's, there's lots of choices there. But we've got to get our patient diagnosed. And once we have our patient diagnosed or getting a home sleep test, to me, that's when we do the, the consultation and the finances. You know, I don't like to talk to patients or do a consultation without the data uh, because I don't even know if they're a good candidate for dental sleep medicine. I don't know if they even have sleep apnea. Why would I even, I don't even know what suggestion to make to them. Uh, you know, in our consultation, we always recommend three, three modes of, or four modes of treatment. Uh, and I would argue there's no treatment, it's really management. Uh, we don't really treat sleep apnea. Um, you know, the four modes of management are the most, com the most complicated one is lifestyle change. You know, to for most of us to lose weight, uh, to get healthier, to get younger. Uh, choice number two is uh, the goal, the quote unquote gold standard, which is CPAP therapy. Uh, choice number three is a dental device, so all appliance therapy. And choice number four is surgery. And then areas that I don't have a ton of experience in myself are some of these adjunctive treatment like. Uh, uh, orthodontic treatment or uh, tongue zapping or orthognathic surgery, things like that. Uh, the, those, the ortho, although that would fall under surgery, but there are a lot of adjunctive ways to help with that. And then once you kind of get the patient to yes, uh, then we have the treatment portion. And uh, my argument is the treatment portion is kind of the most straightforward part of dental sleep medicine. Um, again, not to uh, belittle what we do, uh, but ba basically, we make a double arch night guard uh, that's taken in a open and protruded bite position. 
you know, and you know, there's 800 different devices out there and I'm not here to say one is better than the other. Uh, we all have our preferences. I happen to use a lot of the ProSomnus Evo device uh, in my practice. Uh, we, uh, that's my number one go-to device. We also use the OptiSleep device. We also use the uh, Panthera uh, device. So, you know, lots of choices uh, in various practices and, and how we can do this. So let's kind of walk through the workflow kind of briefly. Uh, I don't want to you know, take a ton of time on this, but awareness. How are we creating awareness? You know, I, I look at uh, three ways that we create awareness. One is through our hygiene department. Two is subliminal marketing. And three is our general dentistry patients. So let's take a look at our hygiene department. Um, we want to review the pa patient health history. You know, I tell I, I teach my hygienist that there's four, four main things we're looking for. There's lots of others, but four main things that we look for. Number one is... Um, uh, patients with cardiac conditions, high blood pressure, heart attacks, things like that. Number two is our patients with diabetes. Number three are patients with depression or anxiety or insomnia, all psychiatric conditions. Or number four is our patients with acid reflux. You know, and, and those are your prime candidates from a medical perspective, um, health history perspective, uh, that should be, we should be encouraging to take a diagnostic test. Uh, all our patients that we try to do night guards on, we know that bruxism and deep class two bites, some of those dental conditions, large tongues, uh, are precursors or telltale signs for a breathing disorder. Uh, and that's one of the reasons our patients are kind of jutting their jaw forward is to help get oxygen. And then we also teach our hygienists how to um, do the home sleep testing. What about subliminal marketing? Uh, surprisingly, I would say that every month we get about two, you know two to three devices from subliminal marketing. One are posters, uh, and I'll show you an example here. Uh, we have posters, and uh, or we started with posters in our practice. Today we don't have posters. We have digital signs throughout our office. Uh, we have sample devices so that when patients bring up something, uh, we can show them examples. And today's modern devices don't look anything like some of those 1980s, 1990s devices, There's, they're metal free, they're, they're crystal clear, uh, they're thin, they're light. Uh, you know, they're, they're really, really, you know, as comfortable as something can be. And, and as a person who's been wearing a, a sleep apnea device, an oral appliance for 15 years now, uh, I will tell you that uh, from personal experience, they've come a long, long way. And then, of course, there's that digital marketing that we can do through services like Revenue Well or Modento or Lighthouse or you know any of the you know I, I'm sure I'm missing some of the other ones out there. So some of that we can do from digital marketing perspective, but we we've got to put that up there. And this is an example of our signboard that we have in all of our operatories and in our practice. Uh, we have a vertical TV that. Uh, flips through various quote unquote ads. Uh, we talk about our team members in there. We talk about sleep apnea. We talk about, we have a couple of sleep apnea signs. One that kind of talks about how it affects your whole body as you see here. Uh, another one that talks about, do you have a spouse that snores? And uh, so, you know, these, these subliminal marketing things really work quite well uh, at, 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 at getting patients attention, especially when they're sitting there waiting in your room uh, for you to get there. Um, 
And then on our general dental patients, um, you know, look at our limited exams, uh, your teeth, grinding. Those are, you know, again, telltale signs of sleep apnea. And then, of course, the spouses, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many patients, how many wives come in or boy, girlfriend, boyfriends and say, can you help my spouse? And we help one spouse. And then the typically the husband will come in and say, maybe you can help my wife. She snores, too, but I'm afraid to tell her. And, and so then they leave us to do the hard work. You're back, Chad. I'm back. Yep. Sorry to interrupt your flow. Um, That's okay. We had two questions. So Dennis had asked earlier, you know, how do we screen in hygiene? And, and I thought you covered that really, really well. Dennis, if you want any more clarification, please let us know. But he also has a follow-up question of um, where can we get signs like what you showed there? And then we have another screening question too. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll answer both of those. Where can you get the signs? So I made those myself. It's a, uh, I want to say those are 55-inch TVs. They're about 250 bucks today. Uh, you buy a vertical mount, and then basically uh, we created uh, using power using you know PowerPoint. Basically, we created vertical signs, and then that's just basically a PowerPoint or a screensaver running in rotation on those TVs. It's uh, kind of like a menu board that you might see at a restaurant, uh, or for those of you that are males, when you go into some of the bathrooms or the urinals, they kind of have a, <laughs> a sign there. Or some of us that fill up gas, uh, they have some of those at the gas stations nowadays. Um, so I think uh, Adam answered Anthea's question here. But the four things, again, are cardiac conditions, uh, diabetes, psychiatric conditions, and acid reflux. Those are the kind of four main things uh, that I look at. So we've created awareness now, and now we're kind of ready to kind of go to the diagnostics. And, and really, you know, you got to dispense the HSD. Uh, I'm a firm believer that dentists should be dispensing HSTs. It's uh, it's up for debate. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why it's up for debate, but it's up for debate. Uh, so do check with your state laws um, uh, on what that is uh, in your own state. Uh, so dispense the HST if you can. If not, use a third-party service. Uh, and when appropriate, certainly refer to a local sleep physician. So once you develop, once you get to that point where you're really developing relationships, uh, you can safely and effectively re refer to a sleep physician. Uh, one of the things I learned early on uh, is that oftentimes when you refer to a sleep physician, your patient gets lost in the vortex and never shows back up. Uh, and then, you know, schedule a consult to go over the sleep test results with your patient. Uh, so often, you know, you know a, to me, again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no scientific expert, but I think an AHI is a terribly misleading number. I think to tell somebody they're mild, moderate, or severe, uh, you know, based on a number where hypopneas and apneas are weighted equally, I think that's silly, personally. And um, uh, but you know, interpret the results. Talk about oxygen. Talk about you know how often is the pulse going up? How many times are they waking up? How much tossing and turning are they doing? All of these kind of uh, kind of kind of tell a true picture or, or a complete picture of your patient's sleep. Uh, and then, you know, understand how to um, interpret the results. Uh, you know, I, most dentists aren't going to get into scoring or being a sleep tech, but I like to learn how to interpret, what I mean by interpret the results, how to kind of digest them in a human, human language. In other words, take a test and kind of explain to the patient uh, what's going on. So now that we've got our patient aware, we've got our patient diagnosed, now it's ready to go to the consult and the finances. Uh, so before the consultation, 
Uh, we do a benefit check and a pre uh, and a, we can't do the pre-authorization point yet, but we do the benefit check so that we find out does the patient have medical insurance? Does the medical insurance have coverage for dental sleep medicine, which they almost always do? There may be deductibles and things like that that get in the way. Uh, but then we, we want to have that done because what we know at consultation uh, is that uh, one of the, the most common question uh, is how much does it cost and how can I pay for it? Uh, so we want to have that answer of the medical insurance. We want to have that ready for the patient. Uh, in our practice, we do work with medical insurance quite uh, quite diligently. We're in network with uh, uh, three or four medical insurance companies. Uh, it's a route I've chosen to go uh, to make things easier for me. You you can, and I know many people that are doing it without medical insurance, so it's certainly possible. Uh, and then at that point, once your patient says yes at the consultation, then you schedule treatment. Uh, and sometimes we're able to do that treatment same day. And in fact, most of the times we're taking records at the consultation appointment. Uh, so Amanda asked a question here. Uh, what do you charge for the HST? Do you go through medical insurance? Uh, so if you're third partying it out, uh, I would uh, let them handle all the medical insurance and the charges. Um, if you're doing it yourself, uh, what we were, what we are or were doing, we're not doing as many HSTs anymore uh, for uh I think silly reasons from the state of North Carolina, the dental board, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I don't wanna get in trouble, but um, um, we were charging $150 for the, uh, for the home sleep test. And that, was, that would cover the, the, the physician to read the test as well. And that was our way of kind of pre-qualifying the patient. Uh, we didn't look at the HST as a, as a profit center in of itself, we looked at it as a way to get the patients in the door to see if they had sleep apnea and as a public service to our patients as well. Uh, did we bill medical insurance for it? No, we typically did that out of pocket just because then you have to get into the pre-off. It just becomes a lot of work for a $150 test. If the patient's not willing to pay 150 bucks, we're happy to refer them somewhere um, to, to go pay more <laughs> somewhere else to get it done. Now that we've got our patient aware, we've got them diagnosed, we've got the consult and finances done, now we're ready to do treatment. And treatment, uh, again, uh, not trying to make this uh, more simple than it isn't, uh, but basically to make a sleep apnea device, you gotta take impressions upper and lower and you gotta take a bite in an open and protruded position. You can do that with a George gauge, you can do that with a leaf gauge, you can do that with a SOM gauge, you could do that by feel, although that probably wouldn't do that. Um, and in today's world, and at least in our practice, this is completely digital. Uh, we don't even have uh, this type of bite registration materials in the practice anymore. Um, so, you know, and then we take photos. Uh, for us, we want a photo of the patient biting straight on and from the sides so that when and if there are bite changes, we have some record of where the bites started on our patient. And then uh, on, the con on, on the clinical side, there's also the delivery and follow-up. Uh, we have to deliver the device and we have to do some follow-ups. And depending on your protocols, that follow-up follow may include a, a home sleep test on your end or referring back out for the home sleep test. And again, you know, for the time period that I have here, you know, I can't go into great detail. Typically, a good sleep apnea training is several days long and quite frankly, a lifetime of learning 
as you get deeper and deeper into it. So that's kind of our workflow is awareness, diagnosis, uh, the consultant finances, and then the treatment. Uh, and, you know, let's kind of get into some of the nitty gritty of what's going on. So uh, every morning, uh, our sleep sleep coordinator, our sleep champion, as I like to do it, is uh, we'll identify a few patients in the practice from the medical history. And typically, we try to identify one per hygienist uh, of a patient that we would like you to bring up sleep apnea with and ask for a conversation with our sleep champion, Liz, in our practice. Uh, so the hygienist is simply asking, making the patient aware that they may have a condition known as obstructive sleep apnea. We highly encourage them to get a test and that we have a person in our practice who handles and coordinates all of that uh, with either through our practice or virtually or with a local sleep physician. And we're simply asking for the hygienist to make a referral to Liz. Uh, and we, Liz does the homework for the hygienist to make it easy for them. And she'll pick one patient each day based on those four things uh, that, I, that I talked about earlier. Um, of course, we have to add questions to our medical history questionnaire uh, because, you know, we want to know, have, have they, do the, does the patient know they snore? Uh, have they had a sleep study in the past? Have they been told to wear a CPAP? And do they actually wear the CPAP? You know, what, what I was shocked at is how many of our patients know or have a CPAP that they, that they don't use. You know, that's low-hanging fruit for us to uh, convert into oral appliance therapy, because what we do know is some therapy is better than zero therapy. Um, then we talk about, you know, picking targets. Uh, and, you know, some of us may take offense to the word target, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, you know, for me, it's I want to choose a target that's closest to me. And that means the easiest one, the lowest hanging fruit. And the lowest hanging fruit to me are the patients that have multiple of those four medical conditions. The more of those medical conditions they have, the more likely they have obstructive sleep apnea. So why would I choose a patient without medical conditions to talk to uh, versus patients with medical conditions? Uh, and then, of course, talking to patients you have a trusted relationship with is even easier for that. So, you know, um, kind of take a look at that. Uh, we keep what we call a book of business. Um, you know, with cold leads, that's people that we are cold. Like we bring it up to them. They didn't come here talking about it. That's from the medical history of the questionnaire. Uh, uh, all the way to our hot leads. Our hot leads are our patients that already have dental devices, oral appliance therapy. And we try to do a recall on them every two to three years where they're ready for a new device. Typically their medical benefits will pay for another device. And that's another momentum builder in the practice. The more we do this year, the more we'll get to do uh, three years from now. In addition to the new cases we get, we'll get a percentage of our old cases uh, to do. And then our warm leads, and our warm lead are people that we've taken down the funnel. Uh, people that we've gone from awareness to getting tested, maybe money got in the way, uh, you know, then we we keep them on a list and we restart rechecking benefits in September, you know, because they've used up the deductible or they've met the deductible, they met their family out of max. Um, so, yeah, so that's there. And we had a question from David, do I use a morning positioner for the bite? Uh, yes, we provide every patient with an AM aligner uh, for them. Uh, we encourage them to use it. Uh, if there any, if there, I'm, as a patient myself, I can tell you I haven't used my AM aligner in 14 of the 15 years I've been using my device. Uh, I do have a little bit of an open bite in the morning. And 
about this time at night is kind of when it comes back together. Um, another area that's super important is to have a financial menu. You've got to find a way uh, to make this affordable for your patients. And that's kind of where I, I'd like to kind of take the end of our conversation because that, that's where the rubber meets the road is, you know, we can be great at creating awareness, helping them get diagnosed, you know, doing all the clinical part, but at the end of the day, we've got to find a way to make this affordable for our patients. And, and to me, nothing makes it more affordable than uh, having payment options and having a financial menu in place uh, that transparently gives it to our patient in writing. Uh, so if you guys give me a moment here, I'll um, actually pull up uh, and do a live demo of our uh, financial menu here. Give me a moment here. Hopefully you guys are seeing my financial menu there on the screen. Is that correct, Chad? Yes, it is. Excuse my language here. So, you know, what we'll do here is we'll say the fee is, uh, let's just say it's $2,200. The patient is paying completely out of pocket. So our team member puts this in and it pops out all the different ways that our patient can pay for this. So the patient can, you know, they can pay us up front if they'd like, or, um, you know, they can do a payment plan as little as $42 a month. You know, they'll be paying for it forever at that price point at seven years. But, you know, something like this, can, you know, $100 a month is very affordable for a lot of patients. Uh, so, you know, having a financial menu like this uh, is very helpful for the patient. So even if it, you know, what I found with this is that we can suddenly start making things a little bit higher in price, but yet more, still more affordable for our patients, which helps us increase profitability in our practice in doing that. You're back, Chad. I am. Yeah. I, I mean, just as a, a personal question as a coach is, you know, what, uh, who offers that seven years of financing? Yeah. Um, so um, like, uh, uh, like some, some of the companies like proceed uh, offer seven years, but look, there's a dollar amount at which point they'll offer seven years. I doubt $2,000 fits in the, <laughs> their range of, of seven year financing for $2,000. Typically the seven years is probably getting into the 10, 15, 20, $30,000 ballpark. But there's, you know, even I think even care credit goes up to uh, some of the, I've seen financing up to nine, 10 years now uh, that's being offered that's available uh, for our patients. Now, certainly there's a discount cost to the practice uh, for doing that. But again, uh, if you want to succeed and win, you have to be open to spending a little bit of money uh, to get that done there. So, you know, so uh, we found a lot of uh, success in doing, having a financial menu and offering payment plans. And uh, in fact, in our practice, we will um, uh, be the, I'm comfortable being the bank on a, up to a 10, 10, 12 month basis for sleep apnea devices. Uh, but we also do work with our third party financing when patients need payment plans a little bit smaller than that. Um, but, but the overall message is get started, you know, team and spouses, 
you know, do the first, you know, establish uh, a first five or 10 pricing. When I started, I just wanted to do the first 10 and a thousand dollars just to cover my cost, you know, maybe even 800 bucks, just so we can get some experience. We can get some testimonials. We can get some, some, some reassurance that it does work. Uh, keep track of your book of business. You know, uh, the hard work we do in January, February, March sets us up for amazing success in Q4. And part of that is we keep track of the patients that said no due to finances or, you know, some other reason in the beginning of the year. And then we kind of work through those towards the end of the year. Understand there's sleep recall. Every two to three years, you can make a new device by medical insurance and you probably should be making a new device for patients. And then understand the difference in how you treat and work with hot, warm, and cold leads uh, through all of this. So that's kind of... Uh, my thing. And then uh, Chad, I think you guys have uh, some messaging here on this. Yeah, I do have a couple questions, but uh, since it's up guys, um, it's the end of the year, you know, and if you are looking to get started and, you know, and, and find those patients that you're looking for, uh, we've got a virtual course uh, coming up in January 27th, 28th, uh, and really our, our calendar coming up for the next coming year. So if you want to scan that QR code, um, you know, or go to awakensleep.com forward slash events, we're offering a $200 discount for that course uh, just for the end of the year uh, in this webinar. And then T-Bone, if you could go to the next slide for me. Um, we also have uh, the opportunity, if you wanna connect with a coach, um, we talked about some signs and stuff like that. You know, We're happy to just answer any questions that you have um, and, and just if there's any anything related to anything T-Bone's talking about or, or implementing in your practice and your unique circumstances, your state guidelines, we do that research for all of our practices um, and, and just trying to help facilitate you getting started. Um, and then if you just sit on the, on the last slide there, T-Bone. And then I do have a couple of questions for you on the, your leads that you're talking about. And these are just people messaging me privately. You said that you for every three years, you're doing a new device. Are you charging the same for that new device? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying we are doing it. We're giving the patients the oh, choice yeah. to get a new device. New right. device. Yeah. And, and so we'll charge whatever our current rate is. Uh, because you know, honestly, we have to go through the process again. We have to take new impressions. We have to take a new bite. We have to do everything uh, mm -hmm. all over again. Uh, uh, so we we do that, and then you know uh, we we will offer to bill that to medical insurance for the patient if if those offices that are participating with medical insurance. Cool. Uh, George Bear asked, "Is it legal for us to charge a slightly higher fee when using a third party financing versus patient paying with cold hard cash?" Uh, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I try to avoid lawyers. Uh, <laughs> my older brother is a lawyer. But uh, uh, what I would tell you is my understanding is that you cannot have a higher fee for patients with, you cannot charge a fee to use third party financing. Um, you did, you did have on your form, though, I think a key uh, to that, though, is you can always discount anything you want. Yeah. Right? But remember, if you discount, you also have to discount to the medical insurance company. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's an, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Cool. So you can't, you can't charge the patient one thing and then bill a different rate to the medical insurance company. Uh, so, you, you know, you got, look, here's what I'm going to tell you is this whole, this it, discounting is unnecessary. If you find a way to make it affordable for your patients in terms of monthly payment plans, uh, you can actually charge more uh, for your dentistry. And, and that's something that, that we work with a lot here uh, at 3D dentists. Awesome. Um, another question, uh, very specific circumstance, but um, I have 1.3 million um, per year general practice. I want to start screening. How many home sleep tests do I need to buy? Uh, first thing I would say is uh, 
double check that you can do it in your state. Uh, yep. And uh, uh, for me, it starts with one. Okay, don't don't go by ten. <laughs> Start <laughs> with one, uh, and then um, every time that you have to make somebody wait, buy another one. You know, these things are like two grand, twenty five hundred bucks. Um, and uh, so, buy one, prove the concept. Buy a second one, prove the concept. Uh, you know, until North Carolina changed the laws, we had gotten up to five or six home sleep tests in our practice. Uh, they weren't all going out at once, but, you know, my philosophy in building this part of the business was I never want to say no to a patient that, that we don't have a test to go out with them. Uh, and I want, I want the, I personally want the patient to leave with the test today. Uh, so I don't want them to wait ever for that. Awesome. Um, another question, just, I mean, general business, uh, what's the average overhead percentage for sleep practice? And what equipment does someone absolutely have to have to do this? Uh, so let's talk about the equipment first. Uh, to do dental sleep medicine, uh, you, you have to have an upper impression tray, a lower impression tray, polyvinyl impression material, bite registration material. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would probably say at least a leaf gauge or a George gauge or some gauge, some type of thing to help you take a bite or even airway metrics as an option. Uh, I would say that's all you have to have. Um, you don't have to have a home sleep test. You can outsource that. You don't have to have CBCT. Uh, you, you don't have to have digital impressions. You don't have to have any of that stuff. In fact, when I started doing dental sleep medicine my first time back in 2006, I think, five, six, uh, we were non-digital at that point with, uh, in terms of dental sleep medicine. Uh, you couldn't really take full arch impressions with uh, the, the, the digital impressions at the time. Uh, so you, you don't need anything fancy to get started. What I can tell you is fancy things accelerate uh, the ability to do dentistry faster. And, uh, you know, that that's the beauty. And it's more accurate and it's quicker and better. Yeah. Um, Jordan asks, we get a patient sleep study back before they come in for the results appointment and we find out they have OSA. Would you recommend to submit for a pre-auth before doing the consult? Uh, personally, no, because sometimes your patients don't want you to submit that to their medical insurance. For example, uh, we have some of our patients who are truck drivers or bus drivers or train. I don't think you're a trained driver, but you're trained something or another, or they're <laughs> airplane pilots. Uh, and they don't want us to submit that to their medical insurance for any number of reasons that they want to hide it or not hide it. Or, you know, maybe they're getting ready to go to apply for life insurance and they don't want that there. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I always uh, want to get patient permission before we do that. Now, I am very comfortable doing a benefit check uh, and a benefit calculation, uh, certainly, because that doesn't, that's not part of their record. But I would not do a pre-authorization uh, without the patient committing to treatment. And the other thing is a pre-authorization has a timeline of how long it's good for. So if it takes you, you know, several weeks or a month to get the patient back in, then you have to go back through the process again. And uh, frankly speaking, a pre-authorization is quite a bit of paperwork. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, uh, he, he asked follow-up, if they said it was okay to do it when they took home the home sleep test, I think that's your permission you're looking for. Yeah. But again, you know, I, I'm a big believer in sitting down face-to-face -face or virtually with the patient and, re and reviewing the results of their sleep test, connecting the dots, connecting the sleep test to their conditions, to their, you know, what the chief motivating factors and all of those things. Cool. Um, Dennis asked in the chat, do you take a CBCT on all your patients? I do. I do in our practice, uh, all meaning 95, 98% of our patients. We take a CBCT on all 
pretty much all the patients. Uh, that's that's our personal standard of care in our practice. Cool. Um, Ronald asks, how do you handle a pulmonologist that you work with that only refer their problem patients back to you? Yeah, I probably stop working with them. I live in a world. I, I believe in a world of abundance, <laughs> and uh, certainly we're going to have problem patients. Just like I'm going to send them some of my problem patients. Um, but if it's if it's a one way street, then stop working with them. Or if it's enough business, just deal with it. Cool. Um, I do have another. Um, how do you manage to do a GP and sleep? I've heard that you have to do one or the other. That's absolutely false. Um, you can mix the two. What I will say is that if you truly mix, uh, you know what what I have seen is that you'll probably typically do typically you know anywhere between twenty and fifty devices a year if you're mixing. And then uh, you know our hybrid model that I believe works unbelievably well uh, is the model where we build a sleep practice within our general practice by having a a team member uh, that's a sleep apnea coordinator, or as we call them, sleep champions in our practice that runs that part of the practice. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm living proof of it. Aaron Elliott is living proof of it. There's so many other dentists out there that are living proof of it. Yeah. Um, I, I like how direct you are about that. The, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, just what am I supposed to do? Dan, dance around of it? It's, it's false. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Amanda look, asks, look, here is the truth. If you're going to dabble in sleep apnea as a general practitioner, you're going to have a lot of hurdles mm -hmm. uh, to deal with. So what I tell dabblers uh, is don't work with medical insurance, charge a flat cash price and just call it a day. Don't, don't, don't bother getting into the medical insurance game. If you're just going to dabble and try to do one or two cases a month, just, just charge a, 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 a fair cash price and, and move on. Awesome. Uh, we've got two more questions. And sure, we're, I'll take as many as you want. Awesome. Amanda asks, how often do you redo the home sleep test to make sure the appliance is still working? Yeah, so that's an um, interesting question. Uh, so in our model, uh, we refer our patients back to, uh, you know, 75% of our patients get referred back to our referring physicians for them to do the HST. And uh, our dental board has not made a good, clear ruling on whether or not dentists can even do HSTs uh, for um, follow-up testing, which I think is um, it's ambiguous. Uh, before all of this happened, we would uh, uh, do follow-up tests at the one-month mark with our patients. Uh, and uh, what I will tell you from personal experience is uh, that um, appliance therapy is quite effective. Uh, but oftentimes uh, the AHI goes back up, it actually goes up postoperatively. And that becomes from, you know, one apnea turning into three hypopneas uh, and, and things like that. Or suddenly the patient gets longer REM sleep. And when they get more REM sleep, they start having more events. Uh, so again, back to my whole point that AHI is, can be a misleading number. Uh, and that's why it's important to have good training and good ongoing training and uh, to really, if, you, if you're going to get into the game of dental sleep medicine, get into the game to win. Um, you know, that's, and, and, and one thing I didn't make mention to, we don't do any snoring devices. Uh, we make uh, devices for people that snore, uh, but we won't make any type of sleep apnea or snoring device without a home sleep test. 
Uh, so we, or, or a, some type of diagnostic sleep test. Uh, so we, that's what I mean by we don't make snoring devices. Uh, we don't make any type of uh, guard that moves the jaw forward without some type of uh, diagnostic sleep testing. Cool. Um, Paul asked about the CBCT. So what are you looking for in the cone beam? And is a radiologist writing that report? Um, are you asking for specific images? Yeah, so we take the CBCT in our practice. Uh, um, most of the time when you buy a CBCT, they're going to provide you with some type of basic radiology training. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't have all of our CBCTs read, uh, prof uh, you know, professionally read. We have a small percentage of them professionally read when we see something out of line. Typically, that my first line of defense when I see something out of line is refer them to uh, a local oral surgeon or pathologist that we have and let them deal with it, uh, make it their problem. They probably like that pulmonologist that sends them to problem patients. But I think if you're a pathologist, you're asking for problem patients. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, in, or in really interesting situations, we'll have it professionally read uh, by an oral maxillofacial radiologist. Cool. All right. We got one more question, at least, you know, that I had privately. If anyone else has questions, um, following this question, if there's no more, we're going to wrap up for the night. Uh, if you had to say there was one thing that could make someone really profitable in sleep, what would they have to do to go that one thing be? Yeah, they, they would need a sleep coordinator. Uh, that, that has been my number one success is that, that I have supported, funded, provided the infrastructure to, to Liz, who runs our sleep apnea practice, uh, and I've gotten out of the way. Uh, that, that's what I would tell you is, is get the right person, get out and get the hell out of the way uh and call it a day okay uh we did have paul submit a follow-up question about the cone beam um, yeah do you want to take that yeah I, I i don't know exactly what he's looking for if it if it's question is in terms of uh for sleep apnea there's nothing you can look for in a cbct that will tell you the patient has sleep apnea uh what a CBCT can show you is a narrowing of the airway. It can be a conversation starter. It can show you what the nasal turbinates look like. It can show you the size of the oropharynx, the nasal pharynx, any deviated septums. It can show you the turbinates. It can show you things along those lines in terms of, of those things that are ancillary and uh, adjunctive to dental sleep medicine. Uh, but in terms of what am I looking for? There's a long list of, of basically what I'm looking for is symmetry when I'm reviewing a CBCT uh, in terms of pathology. Okay. I don't know how else to answer the question for Paul. I think uh, probably was just related to what you're looking to for sleep. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's not diagnostic, unfortunately, right? Yeah, so no. it, it's a screening tool. Oh, um, are you taking another coming for the appliance? Um, That'd be for your oh. OptiSleep, probably. Uh, we we uh, so with the OptiSleep workflow, we have to take a, a sleep a scan with the bite in place, uh, but we're not taking any CBCT with the device itself in place. Cool. Uh, Jordan asked if a hygiene patient is interested in taking a home sleep test, does hygiene hand them out? Do they do the same day appointment with sleep champion, or does the patient come back for another appointment? Well, the answer I would like it to be yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not always that way. You know, at the end of the day, uh, anytime, you know, you want to do treatment, the patient has to be ready, the team has to be ready, uh, and the doctor has to be ready. Uh, so if one of those three people aren't ready, we, we can't move forward with treatment uh, or getting started with treatment. 
But yes, uh, you know, there was a time where our hygienists were able to hand out the home sleep test. But now, you know, what we've done in that situation is, is that's a lot to ask about. We already ask a lot of our hygienists to begin with. So I think asking that much more of a hygienist is probably not necessarily a great idea. So what we've done is we've trained uh, a multiple, multiple admin team members in our practice to be able to hand out the home sleep test. Awesome. Um, someone messaged me again privately. They just asked, what, would, um, what is a good recurring training to send your team to uh, for sleep? Well, I Re- think, Ongoing CE, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I think there's lots of options. I mean, there's, uh, you know, selfishly, we have what we do at 3D Dentists. And, you know, Chad and, Chad and Mike have a great program at Awaken to Sleep. Uh, there's the, there is the AADSM. It's, a, it's, it's an organization. I, it's a very scientific organization, if you ask me. <laughs> um, so um, uh, there's those things. There's there's lots of choice. There's lots of choices out there. You know what what I would tell you is is that I try to avoid choices that are trying to sell any specific type of equipment uh, because they're going to make you feel like um, the equipment is necessary. And the truth is, is no equipment is necessary. They're very helpful, mm-hmm. uh, but no equipment is necessary. And then I would tell you that ongoing treatment, ongoing training is really about, about expanding the skill set. There's myofunctional therapy, there's adjunctive treatment, there's understanding TMD treatment, how that kind of pertains to sleep apnea. Uh, there's healthy start for pediatric adolescent patients. You know, there's, there's just so much nonstop. You know, there's laser therapy, there's all kinds of stuff uh, that can kind of go into this. There's learning to understand uh, in lab studies, uh, there, there's so many things that you continuously learn. Uh, but what I would tell you is that a lot of that stuff is is noise until you get a good workflow and you get a good uh, uh, good understandings of the fundamentals. Yeah, um, Paul. In I, if you don't mind, I can actually elaborate yeah. a little on this question. Paul asked, "Do you find a lot of patients tell you that MD didn't actually explain the results of their?" Yeah, uh, they don't. Uh, that's part of the medical model in that, you know, they've got a machine that runs, you know, they, they get the patient tested, re- reports are prepared, and they write their script for CPAP. And just, I mean, we have a lot of clients and t I'm sure you have a lot of clients as well that, that dentists that you can go through that report and help them understand what, what T-Bone said earlier about that patient-friendly verbiage, making it understandable as a human. Um, if you can know what the sleep test says and connect with your patients as people, um, you'll just, you'll have a patient for life. I don't know even if your experience is, is similar to that, but yeah, yeah. Listen, these patients are so grateful and, and appreciative. Uh, and, and even if they don't do treatment, they'll refer others because you explained it to them. Uh, so, you know, look, our job at the end of the day, you can't, as much as we talk about money and being profitable and all that stuff here, look, at the end of the day, you've got to do this to help people. And when you help people, karma pays it back to you and in spades. So just help people go into it for that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so just so you guys know, the CE links and everything are in the chat. You guys can go get your CE. Um, uh, Dennis asked about the Medibyte Junior. Um, you have yeah, it's a, a, it's a great one. That's one yeah. of the ones we use in our practice. I mean, it's the main one we use in our office. Yeah. Um, Dennis, there's, I mean, the Medibite is, is kind of Dr. Pepper, you know, you've got Coke mm-hmm. and Pepsi, ResMeds and Phillips Alphabet ones. And, um, I mean, there's, there's a whole slew of them and just, you got to look at what works best for you. I know the Medibite is a great unit though. So 
Thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, T-Bone, for an amazing presentation. Thank and, you, uh, And we'll see you guys on our next one. Have a great night. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakenasleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken number two sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.